0: This is the Sibling Library podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now.
1: Welcome to Sibling Library. Happy New Year, you guys. Um, This is the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. I'm going to be the host today. My name is Megan, and I am joined by... Julia! Julia! And Katie! Woohoo! So today we're going to start off with our favorite picks from 2022. So just of the books that we read, I think we all went back through our Goodreads to kind of refresh our memory on our reading journey from 2022 and picked some of our favorites. Um, Anybody want to start off? Start off? (laughs) Start out? (laughs) (laughs) I invented a new word, O-Word.
0: Oh, do we have an O-Word today? We do. Oh, Oh.
1: okay. Well, we'll get into that after we talk about our books, because I think the O-Word is going to lead us into our main discussion, right?
0: I think that is a good way for us to approach it.
1: Okay. Julia, tell us about your books for 2022.
0: Yeah, Meg, I can go ahead and tell you what my favorite books for 2022 were. Uh, you're right. I did comb through my Goodreads, which, unfortunately, I didn't make it to my reading goal. Um, you set a hefty
1: reading goal, though, you didn't did. you? I did.
2: Like 150 or something like
0: that? 150, and I think I got to like 132 or something. 132, that is yeah,
1: that still blows the number that I read <laughs> out of the water.
2: Yeah, it's more than twice what I read. Same. Almost, tw- almost twice what I read.
0: Yeah, I had a lot to go through. And as I was looking through, I was like, if I couldn't remember a single thing about the book, I was like, well, nope, that can't be my favorite. But I did find several that I can talk about. First, I want to talk about The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth. Um, And I think this is going to come up later in the show. So spoiler alert. But this is another book about a neurodiverse character who happens to be a librarian. Um, And it's a mystery slash psychological thriller um, with a good aha twist at the end, um, (laughs) which I enjoy. Um, I also really enjoyed Yours Cruelly, Elvira, Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark by Cassandra Peterson. Um, I listened to it. It is read by the author. So I recommend going that route if you're interested in this book. Um, And she has just had such a varied and interesting life. Um, Not necessarily one that I would want to emulate, but it was quite fascinating to listen to and hear about. Um, And then I also read Long Live the Pumpkin Queen by Shay Earnshaw, which is kind of like a book form sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas uh, with Sally being the main character, Um, like she should be. Who doesn't love Sally? Right. And it was just very satisfying to get more about her history as a character as well. That's cool. And also, yes. And I also want to shout out Honey in the Marrow by Emily Waters. And I'm really looking forward to her next book. And you can go back to our November episode, I believe, and listen to a great interview we did with her. Great choices. Katie, really good Yes. Katie, I think you would like all of them. Megan, I think you would like The Good Sister and Long Live the Pumpkin Queen if you're looking for things to put on your to-be-read list. Thank you. I, yeah, when you were talking about The Good Sister, I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it was really good. Okay.
1: Thank you. All right, mm-hmm. Katie, what are your choices?
2: All right. I am scrolling through my my list of Goodreads from 2022 as well, and um. Megan, you recommended a series that I wound up blowing through. Uh, the Good Girls Guide
0: to Murder books by Holly Jackson. Um, Can I interrupt you for a second, please? I listened to that book and didn't really connect with it. Is it, did either of you listen or did you read it?
2: I did both. I read the first two
0: and listened to the third. Okay. I read all three. Yeah, I'm wondering if it, if I would have liked it more if I was actually reading it
2: if um if it was the same reader throughout all three books i she wasn't my favorite narrator yeah. it kind of grew on me as it, as the book went when i listened to the third one i don't know if it if it's the same woman that reads the um the audio version of sure. books 1 and 2 but that could maybe have contributed to the experience but also when you say you didn't connect with it do you mean you just it it didn't catch your
0: attention or yeah you didn't it wasn't it wasn't necessarily it or... wasn't really holding my attention gotcha so it's kind of like drifting off and be like oh I'm gonna do this yeah. while I'm listening to that so I, that makes that wasn't, it harder
2: that, that definitely wasn't my experience it was the sort of experience where um I was I was hooked and I really wanted to know what happened even though there were. When because that's why I asked if whether you connected to it. Because I really, I would say, pretty strongly disliked the protagonist. Yeah. Um, I was not a fan of her, no, but she, I still. I think she's supposed so, to make you angry. Yeah,
1: she's frustrating. She's very frustrating. Not quite Bella frustrating.
2: <laughs> oh, but in, frustrating. In ways. Yeah, frustrating in a different way for sure she's just stubborn and single single single-minded to the point like she she puts people in danger she puts herself in danger she's very much a lois lane (laughs) this is funny and this is one of your favorite books or series it was it was very entertaining um like it it kept my um so it's a it's a murder mystery series there's there's a different um mystery being solved within each of the the
0: the books and there's three books it it kind um, of felt like a freeform series to me i yeah, would love it a, to it make this ad- into a series it is Absolutely. a young adult series right yes yeah my seventh uh, yeah. graders
1: love it they love it
0: yeah well i haven't gone back for the other two but maybe i'll restart and actually read the book with my own eyeballs yeah i had a lot of fun with it
2: um, but it, but like Megan said, I, and I and I think the fact that you're frustrated or that I was frustrated with the the main character um, that it's centered around is by design, and that's part of you know like you want to find out what's gonna what's gonna happen. Like even though she frustrates you, that doesn't detract from the story. It doesn't you know it doesn't detract from the the interest in in wanting to, to to know who done it and and how it happened yeah. and how she's gonna figure it out she's um, like
1: the anti Nancy Drew yeah like you want her to solve the mystery but you at the same time really don't want her to be successful
2: <laughs> she's yeah the way she does it the way she goes about it is not it's hard so there, to her not a her. whole lot of integrity yeah <laughs> she she's not. She's not about doing the right thing, she's about getting the results, yeah, because
0: she is ac- she is a teenager, right yes she yeah, yeah, she is well, it sounds like a teenager to me, true, yeah, it's also
2: very relevant and similar to like a lot of the um a lot of other story i mean so we've the it reminded me a little bit just in terms of concept of um only murders in the building. You know, you're because she creates a podcast around um, solving this murder as well, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I that that to me all feels like it was spurred from the success of the podcast serial. Um, you know, I mean, I and I think even within uh, Only Murders in the Building, the the Tina Fey character is supposed to be like Sarah Koenig. I mean, what's what's her her name is like a variation of that. It's yeah. Like, something canning it's like it almost sounds like Sarah Koenig Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of I think that um inspired a lot of these things like this this format of you know um, true crime trying to true crime and podcasting around it so so that was just fun for me um so I was also going to shout out honey in the marrow Julia did such a good job of that that I, I won't go into that any further but really enjoyed that as well um and then there's a couple graphic novels I wanted to to call out that that really stood out to me this year that I read. Um there's one called Always Never which is a story about um two two lovers um who have had this love affair that's been spanning for for 20 years and they just can't their life circumstances don't allow them to be together. Um, and the book is written in a very unique way it goes from the end of the story to the beginning and the chapters are even numbered backwards like so you start with chapter 20 and you read all the way back to chapter one so you start with they're finally together and then you see then you work backwards to see how they started and and how they got there in reverse chronological order and it's the art is so charming the love story is so charming um so I really enjoyed that. It, again, it's called Always Never by Jordi Lafablé. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> so um I really I really loved that. Uh and then another graphic novel that really brought me a lot of comfort this year. Um it wasn't it wasn't the easiest year in my life. Um is a book called Everything is Okay by Debbie Tung. Um and this is really kind of an exploration into um Anxiety and depression, which isn't necessarily what I was experiencing, but I think it's relatable to anyone who's going through a hard time um, and the way that it's written is very um honest candid um and and nuanced about like how those 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 emotions um and or um you know uh, diagnoses if you have them can impact your everyday life and how much of an uphill battle it can be to get through it um and it made me want to read more by this this author debbie Tung. um she has she also wrote uh quiet girl in a noisy world which she's got some accolades for so that's on my my want to read list now as well so i really recommend that um and then the last one I wanted to to mention was a uh, a book that I believe both of you have read and I'm the third one to read it uh, the book woman of troublesome creek and we've mentioned that on a few a few past podcasts as well and that's by Kim Michelle Richardson um really really interesting um and and sad story you both told me like as I was reading it I was I was giving you um updates of like you know where i was and and you and i kept saying god this is such a rough book and you kept saying like y- just just get past the beginning i'm like it's not just the beginning there is <laughs> sadness tragedy starvation all kinds of bigotry all kinds of things like all throughout the whole book but somehow there's there's still so much heart to it um and it's about a um a kentucky blue uh like um she's a book woman there you go um and she was taking books to to people who were in in um lived in places that didn't have great access to books and and lived go ahead julia i was gonna say
0: it's it's technically kind of historical fiction right because first of all i didn't know that that was a condition having blue skin yeah second of all I hadn't heard of the Pack Mule Librarians, which was a um, program that I think Roosevelt, I think Teddy Roosevelt started. And I could be wrong. One of the presidents started um, because like you said, Katie, uh, a lot of those people living out in those hills couldn't, didn't have access to books. Yeah. hmm
2: Yeah. So it's, it is a, a very unique historical fiction in that it, it covers a couple of different topics that I think are, are not well known. Um, and it, it, the thing that's so, um, the the thing, the part of it that is uplifting is the, it's kind of a a love story about books, and how um, reading and 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 giving other people access to books was a sign, you know, kind of a hopeful light in the midst of all this darkness and and poverty and starvation, and how that brought a lot of people through and and brought a lot of people together um and and kind of helped her through the the difficulty that she was facing with her condition and the biases and um discrimination against the condition at the time um so and there is a sequel which i read is there is it Mm -hmm. good is it would you recommend that one too yeah okay cool i'm gonna have to pick that one up too
0: me too i haven't read it yet either all right. Well, look, those are mine. Look on, look on Contra Costa Libby, make him. Okay. If you wanted to listen to it. Okay, I will. All right. Well, thank
1: you, Katie. Um, Mine are, I okay, so obviously probably my favorite series that I read was Good Girl's Guide to Murder, but I thought I had mentioned it so many times last year that I would not mention it again um, just because it's, it, it, I, I've, I've said it too many times, but um, my first choice, and these aren't in any particular order, but my first book on my list is Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus by Dusty Bowling. Um, this is a, I'm not sure if it's juvenile or young adult. If it's young adult, it's definitely like good for for younger like younger readers, too. Um, But it's about a girl, a young girl who probably middle school age, um, she was adopted and she was born without um, without one of her arms and her parents moved to Arizona to start renovating an old theme park. Um, And it's a story of her kind of learning about her origin. Um, And it's really good. Um, the next one I chose is The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. I'm not sure if I said his last name correctly. Um, but this is another, this is probably the first mystery thriller that got me on this mystery thriller kick. Um, and it was really good. It was the type of book that like, it was short chapters, um, really fast paced. G- like I couldn't stop reading it. Um, oh, maybe Good Girl's Guide to Murder was the first that got me into mystery thriller. I think you're. That's probably, that's what, probably it was, what it was. That's probably what it was. You read that first. I read yeah. that first. Now you
0: mentioned it twice.
1: My bad. Um, <laughs> Silent Patient was really good. Um, it's about so the main character is a psychiatrist who is working with a woman who killed her husband and then stopped talking. Like went into what's that called? Became mute. Is that how you would say mm-hmm. it? She's she just stopped talking afterwards and like. Mm-hmm. So no one was able to to solve the mystery of why she shot her husband. Um, was she catatonic or just wasn't talking? <sighs> Mostly wasn't talking, and then they drugged her to a point of being catatonic, basically, because if she wasn't mm-hmm. drugged, then she became very violent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um. So that one was really good. That one had, like, when it all comes together at the end, it's like, oh, I sh- I never saw... That coming. Aha! Yeah. It was definitely <laughs> like, aha. Um, next one I want to mention is Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt, which I think we've also mentioned on the podcast. Um, this one is just like, it makes you feel really good while you're reading, even though there are parts that make you mad. Um, and one of the main characters in it is an octopus, which you would think I wouldn't like because I find Octopi very, very creepy. Um, But he was very sweet so i, just, I still am, am creeped out by octopi shifting your
2: personal biases on octopi
1: i like this particular one i believe if i remember correctly his name in the book was marcellus but um yeah have
2: you seen the the documentary the my Oc- my octopus teacher is that what it's called
1: sounds familiar Maybe but i have definitely that?
2: not watched it check that out it will make you cry
1: but do you look at octopi
2: oh yeah uh, No. no but he make, he's becomes best friends with an octopus
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's adorable an octopus
0: becomes best friends an octopus
2: no with a with a man oh he, he scuba dives and he befriends an octopus
0: that's kind of part of remarkably he visits every day
2: oh,
1: that's kind of part of remarkably bright creatures like um one of the there's three main characters and it shifts per- perspective between the three of them and the octopus Marcellus, kind of uh, becomes friends with the the older woman who's uh, my she favorite. She cleans mainfaker. the aquarium. Yeah, she cleans the aquarium, and she checks in with him every day. So it's a it's a good one. I highly recommend that
0: one. I liked it too. I didn't even know you had read it, Megan. Um, and then all of a sudden, did I tell you to read it or no? It was
1: the it was a pick for my friend's book club that I participate oh, okay.
0: in when I'm able to. Because I remember we went to Barnes & Noble to try and buy, I think, a present for somebody. And that was one of the ones I kept circling around. And I didn't know if that was where you picked it up from. But I guess not. I don't have that much influence on you.
1: <laughs> you do have influence on me. My goodness. All right. And then the last one I want to mention is All Your are Perfect by Colleen Hoover. But I would recommend anything by Colleen Hoover. Um, but this one is really cool. Um, she always does something kind of outside of the box with her books. Um, it's not just a, your typical story pattern. They're pretty much always romances, but she tends to shift the timeline of how she tells it. So with this particular one, All Your Perfects, she switches back um, chapter by chapter, like one chapter is titled then and one chapter, the next one is titled now. And then she goes back and forth and she's telling the story of the same romantic relationship from whenever it says then it's them in the past and kind of bring bringing them um to the present and then when she says when the titles are now then obviously it's how their relationship is in the present um but it's it's really good i would recommend it
2: i love that type of structure yeah it's more interesting to read the non-linear where you're you're getting the information as you need it as opposed to the order in which it happened definitely yes yes
1: cool cool well um i think we're we're good on that so thanks you guys for talking about your favorite books of 2022 i look forward to hearing about your reading journeys as we go throughout 2023
2: same thank you for the recommendations i've got a few now that i'm going to add to my my want to read list for 2023 me too
1: all right um so our main conversation today is going to be about The made by Nita Prose. If you have not read this book um, and you don't want to be spoiled, I would recommend pausing, going to get a copy, reading it, and then coming back and joining us because there will be spoilers ahead. So you have been warned. Okay? Just wanted to make sure you heard that. So I
2: she just went into her teacher voice. I did,
1: and I left some <laughs> some waiting time to make sure that you processed it. Um okay, but before we get into conversing about the maid, Katie has an O word that definitely um, relates to the book. You ready, Kate?
0: O word?
2: <laughs> oh my god. Okay, you're going to have to replicate that every time now. Yep. We have a theme song. We have we have a theme jingle for O word. It's it's happened. It's nice a thing. Work. Okay. So, uh the word that we chose for this O word segment is neurodivergent. Um and the reason we chose that is because the the protagonist in the maid seems to uh, present with some of those qualities. Um, it's not something that's spelled out or or stated in the book that that is what's going on, but it as we get into the discussion, it'll make more sense. Um, you know that 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 is seems to be what's what what is going on. Um, so the way that i I pulled some information on this word was um i I did just a Google search and I thought it would be interesting to talk through. Um, not just the, the definition that pops up, but what are some of the, the common questions that people ask on Google about this word. Um, so the, the definition of neurodivergent, it's an adjective, and <clears throat> it, it means differing in mental or neurological function from what is considered typical or normal, frequently used with reference to, uh, to the autistic spectrum disorders, and also to mean not neurotypical. So some of the common things that people ask, uh, one, the first one that pops up is, what is considered a neurodivergent person? Um, and that, and the answer to that is, the neurodivergent describe the term neurodivergent describes people whose brain differences affect how their brain works. That means they have different strengths and challenges from people whose brains don't have those differences. The possible differences include, and this says mental disor- uh, medical disorders, uh, which that's kind of a a controversial way to refer to to neurodivergence and that I'll I'll get into that a little bit further down in in some of the the information that I gathered um but uh it says the possible differences include medical disorders learning disabilities and other conditions um because it's it's a term that is it's the reason it's we refer to it as neurodivergent or neurodiversity is that it's it is part of diversity um, as opposed to being considered a disorder, um, it can be associated with with certain disorders, but that's not necessarily what it is. And and the viewpoint of looking at it that way can create certain biases or or attach a value or a negative connotation to it that um, really is 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 not um, not helpful uh, to to individuals that. That are neurodivergent and it it doesn't it's not helpful to our viewpoint on um you know understanding and um helping them go through the world in in an easier way um another another question that was asked is what are examples of neurodivergent um and the answer there several recognized types of it are autism asperger's syndrome dyslexia dyscalculia, I'm not sure what that is, he- epilepsy, hyperlexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, OCD, and Tourette's syndrome. Um, and then another question that is is interesting because, you know, as you're trying to understand or, or learn about something that's unfamiliar to you, sometimes you want to know, how does that apply to me? So kind of naturally, the next question down the list was, how do I know if I'm neurodivergent? and some of the things listed and again a lot of these are um you know this is just what pops up on google so it's it's kind of I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're um reputable um and and i didn't check where where this information was coming from but i thought it would be interesting to kind of see what is what is some of the information that people have access to and is out there um but what the answer to that is how do i know if i'm neurodivergent um it's it says that you could be struggling with reading and writing Clumsiness, finding it hard to cope with crowds, bright lights, loud, sudden noises, or social situations, difficulty with focusing or keeping still, and no smiling or social responsiveness. Um, And then another question was, what are some neurodivergent traits? And uh, some of those listed were being able to focus intensely on a specific topic, thinking creatively, being detail-focused, Having above-average skills in math, music, and/or art, having strong long-term memory abilities, being very honest, having high energy, and being observant. So, as you think about that, a lot of those are are kind of pretty positive traits. Um, so it's you know when you think about that word, and, and you think about um, what are what are some um, what are some ways that we we view. Uh, people with neurodivergent traits, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of positivity in terms of like, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that they're able to do differently? Um, so just interesting. Um, and then just the the last two that I, I came across, uh, is neurodivergent and anxiety. Um, and what this says is, with this definition, anxiety can be considered a form of neurodivergence, although it may not be commonly, as commonly recognized as ADHD, autism, or trauma. Uh, many people utilize self-identification to cater- categorize themselves as being neurodivergent. So again, that kind of comes into play with, um, it, may, it's, it could be associated with being neurodivergent, but isn't necessarily in and of itself a neurodivergence. And then finally, is neurodivergence a mental disability? And really, it's not the same as a disability or mental illness, but can be associated with them. Um, and and the, the last statement here um, was, was something that I liked a lot. Accepting human neurodiversity is important so all people can live their best lives. Um, and as part of that, I came across an article Uh, from the University of Washington Medicine. It comes from a a website that says right as rain. Uh, It's rightasrain.uwmedicine.org. And the article was written by McKenna Pricing in September of last year. And it says, what is diversity and why neurodiversity and why does it matter? Um, and the main the main points on this um, that she she covers is that neurodivergence is a term used to describe differences in brain function. Classical definitions of neurodivergence include diagnoses of autism, ADHD, and dyslexia, but some people also include uh, traumatic brain injury and mental illnesses like anxiety, depression, and OCD in discussions of neurodiversity because of the way these conditions can alter brain functioning. So um you know that it's it's more about um understanding that it's just a, a different way in which a, a person's brain um functions so some of these these other conditions can contribute to that as well um the other thing that is highlighted in this article is that embracing neurodiversity means going beyond medical def- definitions by recognizing the whole person as opposed to just how they're different um and it's it's helpful that rather than talking about them in terms of um how high functioning or low functioning they are to talk about them in terms of how much care they need um for example you could describe someone as living independently or needing certain types of support as a result of of their their neurodivergence um and this is th- some some additional things that goes into is um you know, recognizing that it's not the same as a, as a disability or a mental illness, but can be interconnected with them. So there's, there's just so many factors, uh, that contribute so they, someone could have, um, a, a neurodivergent quality that makes their, their brain function in a different way that could lead to, um, other types of mental health conditions. So, an example is that um, neurodivergent people um, can be diagnosed with other conditions. So, two of every three people with ADHD also have another condition, such as anxiety or depression or OCD, um, and as well as autistic people are at higher risk for mental health conditions. And when you think about why that might be, it could have a lot to do with, um, you know, the fact that they are they are less understood and less um their their the way that they their perception of the world is is not as as readily understood and accepted and recognized and validated in the world as someone who's considered neurotypical.
1: Can I speak to that so, for a second? Please. So I have um obviously I've been a teacher for This is my seventh year teaching, so I've had a handful of students with ADHD, and I have one in particular this year who both has ADHD and anxiety, and um, I think that it definitely has to do with um, the anxiety has to do more with his ADHD than anything else because he has no problem um, connecting with his peers um, or making friends what he has a problem with is you know being able to act like your typical student so he is definitely also neurodivergent um and it's there's a problem with our school system in that if you're not if students aren't able to sit down and um follow classroom rules which typically involves sitting and not not moving around the room much and you know there's more if teachers aren't, like, mindful about trying to include movement or trying to include ways to, I don't want to say cater because that sounds like we're babying them, but ways to engage students. Thank you. Ways to mm-hmm. accommodate students that have um, different learning modalities, um, they tend to become the, quote-unquote, problem child in the classroom. And this particular student has opened up to me several times about how when he was in elementary school, like he was always the one that was singled out by the teacher because he wasn't able to follow directions. Um, doesn't mean he wasn't able to learn, just means he wasn't able to do the same thing that all the other kids did because he had ADHD or has ADHD. So that's kind of ended up developing anxiety for him too. And I think it's interesting. I think it's great that this term, like I had never heard this term until a couple years ago. And I didn't even hear it through um, education. Like I've never heard this term used by another one of my colleagues by my administration or anything. I heard it from like a YouTuber whose partner was diagnosed late in life with autism. Um, And by later in life, I mean like in his 30s, where typically kids are diagnosed with autism, you know, when they're young, right? Not necessarily super young, but um, I think that I'm glad that this term has been brought forth because it feels a lot more inclusive um, for kids who just think differently. Um, They just view the world a little bit differently doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them doesn't mean that they need to you know be medicated or told to sit down and blend in but because they have a hard time blending in they're not able to conform they're not able to feel like they're normal you know so they tend to develop those other things like anxiety or depression um so i think that this term i don't know when it came into existence it has to be a fairly new term but i think i
2: have that information
1: you wanna,
2: when how yeah. new is it? Nineteen ninety eight. So from another article that I looked up, um, from my dot dot org, uh, the term neurodivergent came from the related term neurodiversity. Judy Singer, an Australian sociologist, coined the word in nineteen ninety eight to recognize that everyone's brain develops in a unique way. Yeah. So I think that this is a
1: great um. I don't want to say movement because I don't think that this particular movement has necessarily hit the educational world yet. At least there's more awareness. More awareness, yeah. yeah. That's where it starts, right, is the the awareness. Be the change,
0: Megan. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: at the same time, like, as a teacher, it's hard when you've got students with so many different needs. Um, It's hard if you can't, if you have a student that isn't able to follow typical classroom routines or structures, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a catch 22. It's like this is great that this is coming about, but it's also like as a teacher, huh, how do I I have to deal with already so many challenges and it's like
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the end of the day, all you can do is be kind to everyone. I feel like that. Absolutely. That's the that's the message at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. I I I think a couple of thoughts on on everything that you just said and and um Sorry, they're all crashing in my brain at the same time. I'm <laughs> trying okay. to decide which one to put out. The we talk we talked in prior episodes, I think it was the Live Oak with Moss episode, um, in reference to even the the term homosexuality. Not not comparing these two things, but we're talking about diversity. Um, and these are different types of diversity. Um having a word for something creates can create community. It can create understanding. Um, language is so integral to our ability to understand the world. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about sometimes putting, putting labels on things isn't necessarily um, a good thing, but it's how it's how the human brain is able to, you know, categorize and understand and, and, um, it's not it's not always a bad thing i guess is where i'm going with that because if you can put language around it you can put understanding around it you can build community and you can continue to learn um if we don't have a word for something how do we talk about it yeah um so i i think i think the fact that yes this is another just another thing that teachers who have so much to contend with already um have to think about but i i think it you can kind of fold it into just you know, it's just another way that people learn, and and the more you understand about that, the more effective you can be in the classroom. So, you're right, double-edged sword. It's one more thing. It would be it it would be so much easier for for you as a teacher and for me as a leader if everyone learned and communicated in the same way. But we're just that's just not. That's part of what makes the world interesting too. Yeah, I was gonna
1: say, but the world would be so boring.
2: Yeah, we're we're not all robots. Um, And then kind of closing out on this, this subject, and I'll I'll kick it back to both of you on any other closing thoughts that you have, but, um, you know, we talked about what are, you know, just, just be nice to everybody, but some other thoughts on how to support neurodiversity specifically um, that was, that were shared in the article is to accept that neurodivergence is part of human diversity, recognize that neurodivergence does not define someone, but can, it can be an important part of their identity. Um, and recognizing that neurodivergent people are this—no two neurodivergent people are the same. They will have different goals and needs. Um, you can advocate for practices that accept and accommodate neurodivergence. You can speak up if you hear or see someone being prejudiced against, and, and that's just in general. Um, anyone who's um, in a um, you know marginalized group that is is experiencing um, some sort of prejudice or abuse can use your voice and be an ally for neurodivergent people by telling them they can come to you if they talk if they need to talk or need help and megan you've done this with your student sounds like he's very comfortable being able to share what his experience is and that's only going to help you understand how to support him better right Um, and finally celebrate the people you care about who are neurodivergent
1: well thank you katie um, I think that definitely leads us into our conversation about the maid. Um, did either of you want to synopsize, synopsonize, summarize the plot before we get into it? I'll give a quick, and you guys can fill in any holes. So yes, um, the maid is about uh, a a gr- girl, well, a woman whose name is Molly. And she is a maid at a very nice hotel. Um, I believe it's called the Regency Grand. The Regency. She works at a very nice hotel. When when she whenever the hotel was being described, I kind of pictured the Plaza uh, of New York in my head. Um, so it's a high end hotel, and she loves her job she loves cleaning rooms returning them to a state of perfection as she would say Um, until one day she goes to clean a room and she finds that the man who was staying there with his wife uh, is dead he's dead in bed and she kind of she calls down for help um, and the rest of the story is about figuring out who killed Mr. Black that was his name right Mm-hmm. Okay mm-hmm. who killed Mr. Black because Mr. Black is also a very wealthy man um so throughout the story a lot of suspicion gets thrown on Molly because she is she was the person who found him so she had access to him but she's also neurodivergent so she um doesn't necessarily react and respond to the police questioning in the way that they feel like she should so because she's different because she responds differently they kind of suspect her right away and as the reader um you You're pretty sure she didn't do it, but you're not really 100% sure until the end, until they figure
2: out who actually did it. Do you guys have anything you want to add into that? Uh, Not into the synopsis, I think, as we we get into the discussion. We can can kind of add in some more thoughts and observations
1: okay so let's start then with who did you guys first think was responsible for mr black's death like who did you blame first
0: rodney i thought
2: it was molly pretty much the whole time you did not i did i did katie and i and i i feel I, i don't feel great about it but i have thoughts about why that is I don't, I don't know how deep we want to go into it right now. But that's I I really from go thought it was Molly and then kind of went back and forth. I didn't have, you know, as you get more information, um, you know, I, I thought it could be other people. But I kept going back to they're just throwing us off the scent like Molly did it the whole time. And it, it's interesting because you're in her head. It's told from her. It's told in first person. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how you and and the fact that you're in her head but you're also not um, not sure whether she did it or not reminded me of like Gone Girl where you know you're it's you're in, you're you're getting it from the character's perspective but you feel like you're not getting all the information from them and it's kind of because of the way that her brain functions that you feel like there's 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 the possibility at least for me, of of certain um, certain information that she could have either blocked out or didn't deem as relevant because of the way her brain functions, and. Uh, that comes down to. Sorry, go ahead, Meg. You were going to say something. Well,
1: I was going to say, I had those thoughts too, because she often made the comment of being able to wipe clean her memory and start yes. fresh. So, like, yes. and those were her words that she was able to restore her mind to a state of perfection by, you know, pausing, mm-hmm. wiping it clean mentally, and then moving on with her day and not remembering. And she also had a lot of moments where she if she was mad at someone, she would envision killing them in different yes, ways. Like exactly. Throughout the book. So I also thought she might have had something to do with it, but I definitely thought that if she did have something to do with it, it was because someone else set her up to do it.
2: Mhm. Like I didn't
1: think she would have just killed him in cold blood or no. even I th- I yeah. just
2: thought it, I just thought she did it. Yeah. I, I I didn't it's not that I didn't have it's not that I didn't have empathy for her or or um. it's not that I wasn't rooting for her. I totally was. Mm-hmm. I felt like if she did it, she had her own rationale and reasoning for it.
1: So, Julia, you said that you never, ever suspected her. So if you never suspected Molly, who you said you thought it was Rodney from the get go. What made you think
0: that? Well, I thought it was Rodney, but he was also an obvious choice, so I didn't really think it was him. Um, I never thought it was Molly because, I don't know, that also seemed too obvious. Like, obviously, she was, uh, the more you got into the story, you could see she was being used and Mm -hmm. not realizing it. Definitely, So even though it wasn't Rodney, he was guilty in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. In relation to Molly.
1: Did either of you see the end coming? Like, did either of you predict what actually ended
0: up happening? I didn't predict it, but I also thought it kind of came out of left field. Like, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like, oh, like, that was a really good twist. Like, I felt like, yeah, they didn't really set it up. No, it's just like, and to be honest, I was like finishing those last few pages and had to actually go back and read. I was like, wait, they just revealed something and I didn't even. Didn't catch it. It didn't even make an impression. So I had to like go back. I was like, oh. Yeah. And it was just kind of weird. And it does speak to Molly's neurodiversity that she was just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. So she also is not completely blameless in it. True, She didn't have anything to do with the actual. Murder, but but she knew who did it the whole time and didn't tell the, the whole police, time. yeah, yeah,
1: because she felt she had this like I don't want to say a, it wasn't really an obsession, but like a way that she viewed right and wrong was through like yeah. the Robin Hood rule yes. right like if somebody did something wrong for the right reasons she felt that it was still not wrong she felt that it was doing something that was good so because she Mr. Black she became friends with Mr. Black's current wife whose name was Giselle Um, and she knew that they had a strained relationship she saw bruises on Giselle she heard them fighting Um, so she felt like Mr. Black was a cheat and not a good man For Giselle to be with um so the fact that he ended up dying because he was hurting her friend she was like well it's okay he should have he wasn't a good man um so she helped cover up for the person who actually did do it do we want to reveal who that was or do we want to save that for later
2: up to the host
1: Let's save it for later because we haven't even mentioned the character yet that did it. So um, (laughs) do you guys have anything else you want to say about who you first thought was responsible or anything else to add to that?
2: I do. I part of I struggled with this personally because, you know, as as you learn more about Molly and as we understand more about neurodiversity um, I, I was upset with myself for continuing to suspect her because I was thinking, you know, this is, this is exactly, and, and then thinking probably it wasn't gonna be her at a certain point because that's, I feel like that's part of what the book is, does really well is it, it kind of helps point out your own personal biases, but I, I kind of, it was helpful to to me to not beat myself up so much about the fact that I kept thinking it was her because of, you know, the the different ways in which she she sees the world, the sometimes lack of ability to um, understand human emotion and and thereby a little bit of lack of empathy. Although as we just described, she's very empathetic in terms of being able to see when someone is. Being treated poorly and having an you know a, a very strong um, reaction against that, so I wouldn't say that she's not empathetic, um, but I think that part of what was going on there is the fact that this story, just based on what it's about, the fact that it's 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 a murder and you're trying to understand who did it, um, and so many other stories that that you read and and the ways in which the killer is portrayed has a lot of these same qualities and traits you know the way that you know she's she's able to just kind of shrug off that someone was was killed and 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 not have a you know strong emotional reaction to it um at least not in the way that someone who's neurotypical might um you know i i, I think part of that bias is just within the framework of what the story was. Um, but I I did, I I struggled with like, gosh, I keep, I keep thinking it's her and I don't, I don't think it, it's probably not. And it's, this is playing with my own personal biases. So I, I had kind of a back and forth with myself on that throughout the whole thing.
1: I think it's interesting that like clearly when you read this you it is obvious that Molly is neurodivergent, right? But in all mm-hmm. of all of the articles I didn't read that many articles, but I read a couple articles about the book.
2: It's not mentioned. It's yeah. not mentioned
1: anywhere. It's not mentioned in the the book cover um at all. So I'm wondering why you guys think that is. Why do you think that it's not said anywhere explicitly the main character of this book is neurodivergent? What do you think?
2: That's a really good question. Like
1: is it that they want it to be a more authentic um way to include that type of population rather than it feeling like tokenism, like we're selling this book because it is representing someone who's neurodivergent rather than just we're selling this book because it's a good story. And if you know, I would you know, love that.
2: I would love that if that's the case, but I also don't have that much faith in people who want to make money <laughs> to, to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, unless the uh nita prose has has so much control over the marketing and all of that but also she doesn't have control over the types of articles that get written and again we didn't go deep and and read a ton of articles about it i'm sure there must be something like if we were to google like maybe someone google right now um the maid and neurodivergent and the word neurodivergent and and see what comes up but one thing that um so julia had sent an article to us um That I think it's the only one I read, but the closest she comes to to mentioning that is that um, she has she had a quote in it that it was very important for me to situate the reader with very little information to just open the book and encounter Molly. My hope was that by discovering her unique perspective to live as her would be to love her. So it is very it's kind of speaking to like you you're seeing it through her lens and she's she's calling out that her lens is very unique in the way that she sees and perceives the world. So that was the closest that I saw to calling it out what it what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I love the idea and I, I would hope that 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 would be it that it's like this is just Molly. This isn't molly the the autistic person this is just molly this is who she is and it's you know this is this is how she sees the world right so
1: something about molly is that she kind of needs the help of other people to be able to interpret the world around her when she like her not long before the story starts we find out nine months Nine months before the story starts, her grandmother passes away. She calls her her gran. Um, And her gran really was um, the person that raised her her whole life. We find out that her mother um, abandoned her, I believe. She was a drug Mm -hmm. addict and abandoned her. Is that correct?
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So we know that her gran helped her navigate her daily life, helped her to understand how people... Were acting around her helped her to understand how um, Molly should respond in certain situations. How did things change for Molly after her grand passed away?
0: Well, after her grand passed away, she still had all of those sayings and teachings that her grand left behind her. So she was always hearing her voice, like in her head, or like whenever she was encountering a situation that she really had to stop and pause and think like oh how sh- how should i be responding to this um and she'd always bring it back to something her grand would say so it wasn't like in that respect like her grand never left her um mm-hmm. but possibly also didn't really equip her well enough yeah for like I, you can't really equip somebody for being in this type of situation mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's like she that that was part of the reason why she was so suspected by the police because mm-hmm. of she was reacting in this certain way that her grand had always encouraged her and taught her yeah. to be
1: like the her grand's sayings were almost like her. Her commandments, her rules that she lived mm-hmm. by, and she didn't have any her coding. Yeah, she didn't have any flexibility within those. Like she wasn't able to mm-hmm. adapt to situations. It was like this is what this situation is. This is what Grant says. This is what I do. There was mm-hmm. no well, but this is different.
0: So maybe I should kind of you know adapt. Like her her critical thinking skills weren't. Overly developed. Everything was black and white. Mm Like there was no, there was no gray in her life. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I also think she, she was able to find some authentic um, relationships as well outside of her gran that she was able Mm -hmm. to, once she really trusted them, she also listened to their advice. Like one of my favorite, not necessarily favorite moments, but a moment that stuck with me was when she and Giselle um, were being friends and, Giselle was crying and Molly kept like handing her a tissue and saying a tissue for your issue and like thinking (laughs) that that was really empathetic and helpful but like if you're crying and someone says here's a tissue for your issue like basically clean it up stop crying um, that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily what you want to hear and Giselle was able to like tell her you gotta stop doing that without making Molly (laughs) feel like she was doing something bad you know Mm-hmm. Um. so I thought that was cool that Molly was still able to to take in advice from others
0: yeah I'm curious though maybe her gran was also neurodivergent and that's why she had all of these sayings and mm-hmm. like rules yeah. I don't maybe. know maybe, maybe she was also that's all she had in order to it's
1: definitely possible because her gran instituted that cleaning schedule right who
0: cleans mm-hmm. their floors very weekly? rigid like and dusts everything weekly.
1: Yeah, and every time you come inside, you take your—they sh- take their shoes off and wipe off the
0: bottom, wipe them. So maybe she just had ADHD, OCD, or some OCD, so- yeah. yeah. So maybe she was also dealing with that as well. Yeah. And we because because she had passed away before the story started, we didn't really. No, we never know. Dive into mm-hmm. that. Yeah,
1: another one of my favorite um, parts. Um, we can talk about side characters now I guess. Like who my favorite side character was Juan Manuel. Um he was so sweet. So he was the mm-hmm. one he worked in the kitchen and he was used by Rodney who was the bartender yeah. that Molly was in love with for most of the story but is clearly to the reader he's clearly a creep. Um but mm-hmm. Juan Manuel is almost like his opposite. Like he's very sweet. Um, very unassuming, and also clearly being used by Rodney. Um, and Juan Manuel um, and Molly end up forming a friendship, which later turns into, spoiler alert, um, later turns into <laughs> a romantic relationship, which I was so excited about at the end. But one of my favorite things that he says um, that I think kind of helped Molly um, be okay with you know, being different, not that she was ever not okay with being different, but really kind of helped her to own being different was he said, we're all the same in different ways, which I think is a great way to include people who are neurodivergent um, and just a, a way to make them feel like, oh, I am similar to everybody. I still can fit in. I just I have these things that are different about me, but so does everybody else.
0: Right. I love that. Yeah. My favorite side character was Mr. Preston because he really looked after her like a grandfather. And then you find out later that he did have a connection with her grandmother, which is why he always looked after her. Do
1: we think he was actually her grandfather? Like it seemed like that was where he was going and just didn't actually say it. But I feel like he was actually her grandfather. I feel like they
0: would have revealed that.
2: It's possible. I, I think they left it open
1: because, like, his daughter, who was the the lawyer that helped get um, Molly off, helped mm-hmm. prove her innocence. Um, he was kind of talking and. In- gray areas about how his gran left molly in the care of somebody who would never stop looking after her who also happened to maybe be or that her grandfather never stopped caring and his daughter like looked at him like do you have more to tell me and he like kind of stopped her and then they left so i think he might be her grandfather but if he is i don't know why he didn't just tell her
0: Maybe there's a sequel coming. Maybe there is. (laughs) It's a hotel. Anybody could die. That is true. At (laughs) any moment. That is
1: true. That is very true. Which if there's a sequel, then that makes me excited because hopefully they'll also turn that one into a Netflix. Is it going to be a Netflix movie or a Netflix series? I think it's going to be a movie, and Florence Pugh is going to play Molly, which I'm excited oh, about. How it's about be you guys? I love yeah. her. I she's love a her. really good actor. She's so mm-hmm. talented. She is very talented. Do you guys have any casting? Because I think she's the only one that's been announced as being cast so far. Do you guys have any like if they could if you could choose who's going to be Rodney or Giselle or Juan Manuel or Mr. Preston? Who who do you guys have any ideas in mind?
2: Hmm.
1: I want Liam Neeson to be Mr. Preston. That would be sweet. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't think about it either
0: until just now. Yeah. One manual. And honestly, when I was reading it, I wasn't even picturing Florence Pugh, so. I know. I wasn't either. I, f- I forgot. I forgot it was being adapted. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's okay. We can move on from that. Um... Okay, so the big twist at the end is that Molly actually knew the whole time more than she let on, right? And we kind of know that. It's mentioned in the very beginning that when she was in the room, when she discovered Mr. Black, she looked up at the mirror and saw something in the mirror that made her faint, basically, right? And we never find out what it was that she saw in the mirror until the very end
2: question though did she do you think that she really knew the whole time or because i got the impression that even though she was there and knew that she like you like we said she she fainted and we talked about how she can wipe her mind clean almost like she suppressed it until later in the story when she needed the information because it didn't feel like she knew as she was being questioned and, and going through the whole, as, as, as they were doing the investigation of who the killer was. I don't know. I didn't get the feeling that she she knew and was concealing it. I felt like she didn't know, and then it kind of was revealed to her at the same time as it was to us because she had suppressed it somehow.
1: I think she absolutely knew the whole time, and I think it's part of her neurodivergence <laughs> that she was able to suppress it so well. I think that's part of how her brain worked, that she was but able to wipe it from clean herself. and save it save it for later. Yeah, I think she was. Okay. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think she necessarily. So I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. No, I don't okay. think she like forgot and then just remembered when she needed to. I think she knew the whole time and was actively working on her Robin Hood role that well, this person did this for a good reason, so I'm going to help them do this for a good reason, and I'm really good at wiping up messes, and this is a mess in That's my mind, so I'm going to wipe it up for now and bring it back out when it, when I feel like I need to.
2: That is so very nuanced.
0: I also think she covered for the killer because she related to her so well mm-hmm. and being invisible. Um. I'm just not totally sure why she was so trusting after she would walk in on that, knowing what happened and be like, yeah,
1: okay. Because I think in her head, Mr. Black was a bad guy. And like you said before, yeah. everything was so black and white and for her. And that's all that mattered. That he was a bad guy. Now he can't hurt Giselle. He can't hurt my friend. So this is a good mm-hmm. thing in the end.
2: Agree. So do you want to reveal who it was?
1: Yeah, and our listeners are going to be like, "Who the heck is that?" Um, so Mr. <laughs> Black was married twice, and it was his first wife, not Giselle. It was his first wife that killed him.
0: Dun dun dun! You know, <laughs> I I and again, like it didn't give me that. Oh, it moment. didn't give me that moment um, either. Like it didn't feel like that big of a twist. I I it just kind of came out of nowhere because she wasn't even a character throughout the rest of the book really like maybe yeah, they would her mention her in passing twice, yeah. but she wasn't honestly I thought a bigger twist would have been that it was Mr snow yeah who was Mr snow the, I forget manager of the was. hotel huh um but otherwise I I kind of felt like that revelation kind of fell a little flat and like I said I kind of read right past it and then had to go back because I was like oh they just they just said something important here's an interesting so I had to go back oh sorry go ahead that's it.
2: Here's an interesting way to to maybe frame that because yes, it felt like it came out of left field, but within the context of everything we've said, if it's something that she witnessed, was aware of and suppressed and and tucked away so that she could do what she needed to do to protect the killer. And we're reading this through her mind. It's not something we would have seen or experienced because she was not she had tucked it away. You know, it's like it's that whole like we're, if it had been written in the third person, mm-hmm. maybe we would have had a lot more information around it. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't satisfying in the sense that you're like, oh, wow, I can tie this, this and this and this back to it. But with the way the structure of the story and and the way that it was told and from the perspective it was told in, it makes sense from that from that viewpoint to me that like yeah it's gonna drop in here out of nowhere because she's been shutting it out the whole time
0: mm-hmm. and we're seeing it through her I eyes just, i just really wanted that oh <gasps> yeah moment that's that's the and i didn't piece. get it like i really enjoyed the journey of this book and i was rooting for molly the whole time and i was on board with her and was glad that it ended positively for her but i didn't feel like that mm-hmm. moment that I was like oh if you do want a moment like that I highly recommend the a book called The Push by Ash- Ashley Audrain that had like I think I audibly went oh, at the at the end of that one I
2: went oh, at the end of The Silent Patient too I feel like that's a hard thing to achieve because if you're giving and and kudos to those authors because if you're if you're giving enough information for it to be to make that much sense but also be that much of a surprise you have to know exactly how much to reveal and when to reveal it and how to reveal it so that's a very delicate dance yeah so that's pretty cool
1: and you have to be able to like tell a story outside of the box too like you can't follow the typical Mm -hmm. um pattern because there are so many mysteries and thrillers out there right there's a pattern by now that you're like okay right. by
2: now here's the formula yeah
1: i've gotten this this and this clue so it has to be this person or just by like having a character be developed you're like okay i th- i could see it being this person but it also has to feel authentic too cuz if it's the person you never expected it's like
0: well mhm blurg but like we didn't even we didn't even necessarily have a chance to like suspect right cuz she wasn't in this in, book. she wasn't involved like she and right.
2: and within like she wasn't even a side character right but that also makes sense i don't know i i understand where you're, where you're coming from julia in that like that's kind of what you look for in this type of a story but i also think it makes sense in this story because she wasn't like, involved in her her day-to-day like, life like she was she wasn't someone that she would have interacted with other than in this moment because um, she kills her ex-husband. She's going to lay low. She's going to come back to the scene of the crime. And that's where.
0: no, her- Not even that, but like even like there could have been, I don't know. Like, I don't even remember her really being all that mentioned no. and like all the reasons she gave for doing it also didn't have any kind of build up or any relevance True. to the story other than why she why this happened. True. I don't know. Because it was all I, again, redirection. I'm gonna say it again, like is, I yeah, yeah. I liked it, um, but I I didn't I didn't feel satisfied by the very like the, like the twist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I get that. The twist wasn't like a ah! I get that.
2: it was just a <laughs> <laughs> That's the scale. Yep. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I get where you're coming from. but I also l- kind of love the way this was written. Given all the things that we're talking about and what it's about and the type the, the, the type of protagonist that it is, it just the structure of it kind of makes sense. And it makes so much sense to me that this author, it, it's her debut novel, but she's been a longtime editor like it's so tightly like the story is so tight you can tell that you know this is this is coming from someone who knows how to how to craft a story and and she's she's been an editor for a really long time and this is the first time she's written a story and it 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 shows that i want i wonder if she even had her own editor she probably i'm sure sure she she did did, yeah positive yeah yeah so i thought that was an interesting fact about need a prose as well
1: yeah so if we were to rank this story just on our own personal enjoyment on a scale of one to ten ten being amazing out of this world one being uh, how would you guys rank it <laughs> what do you think jewel
0: would you recommend it yeah i'd recommend it um i'd give it maybe a seven and a half. Katie. I absolutely
2: would recommend it. Um, I I would give it at least an eight and a half, maybe a nine. I thought it was it was different from anything I'd ever read in a lot of ways, which I think is hard to do. So just for that uniqueness alone, um, I I would would rank it pretty high.
1: I would agree with you guys. I would also highly recommend it, especially since there is the film version coming out. It's always fun to read something and then compare it to the film adaptation. And I am I wonder if they might change the ending for the film because they can do that. You know, hmm. they could. um, And in this case, it would depend how they changed it for me to obviously. we Maybe we'll come back once the film is out and we can talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah do just a, a segment
2: in yeah one of our shows yeah. that would be cool. I agree.
1: Do you guys have any closing thoughts on the maid?
0: It was a lot of fun. I I would yeah I would like a maid to come in and return my spaces to a state of perfection please. <laughs> I appreciate that job. I
1: I agree that would be wonderful. Okay, well thank you guys so much for for that conversation um it was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed reading the book too so um we should do that again at some point with going through Goodreads and finding um a recommendation for a book um next month uh we're gonna do we're we're also going to read the same book as each other and discuss it um for February we wanted to pick a romance since Valentine's Day is coming up in February um and since i've been super into colleen hoover i wanted to bring katie and julia in on that journey with me so we are going to be reading it ends with us by colleen hoover Um, so if you would like to join us uh please snag yourself a copy of that and enjoy and then join us for our conversation do we have anything else any other business before we close out just say goodbye all right well read share repeat until next time make sure that you read share and repeat bye
0: Bye. that brings us to a close on this chapter of sibling library thank you for listening until next time let's read share and repeat